Good afternoon, everyone. Good afternoon. How are you doing? Welcome to another episode of Cold War Brew Podcast with your host, Danny Haifong. So I'm going to let people come into the room, uh, should there be anyone who is wanting to join. Uh, This is not a usual time that I do this podcast, but it is the time that I have. My schedule is much more, uh, how should I say, uh, unpredictable these days, given some uh, personal as, as well as... Uh, media and and political responsibilities. So I hope you're all doing well. I don't see anyone here just yet, so I'll just let this uh, continue to run. Um, today I don't have anything really. Uh, I see that it's a little bit slow. I don't have anything huge on the agenda. It's been a quite a busy week. I had three streams in three days, including two guests, a, a guest on consecutive days on the left lens on my YouTube channel. I also launched Rockfin, so I got that process off the ground. So you can follow me on Rockfin now. Uh, just search my name, Danny Haifong. Make sure you're there. And, yeah, I had to talk about something that I really wasn't that interested in, this whole MAGA communism online meme. Somehow I got pulled into what had then became something very personal, was rife with personal attacks, because I think the politics just don't hold up. I mean, me even just saying MAGA communism kind of makes me want to uh, bury my head in the sand and uh, 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 wait for it to pass. So uh, it, it was something I didn't really want to talk about, but I did get uh, looped into it. And then we had a real—I had two streams on it: one on my own, one with Ben Norton. I thought they were—they were good on countering what is just like a constant stream of propaganda about communism, which is a huge part of this new Cold War. I mean, it's a huge part of this moment that we're in and a part of the historical uh, trajectory of this of this empire. It's really important that there's always new ways to propagandize about communism and, and twist it, turn it. Um, I, I, you know, I would just say socialism, really, because communism to me is not a, really an ideology. It is the end goal. It is a system of development. Socialism, I think, has more of an ideology as well as a goal. But with that said, you know, I see people coming in, come right into the queue. I don't have much prepared. There are some interesting things that did happen amid all this MAGA communism meme nonsense. I think the biggest thing for me was the Shanghai Cooperation Organization Summit in Uzbekistan. You had China getting the heroes welcome from Kazakhstan right beforehand. You also had Iran signing a memorandum saying that now, that now they're an official member of the Shanghai Cooperation Organization. And, it, you know, it's a big deal. It's a big deal that these multilateral institutions led by China are becoming stronger and stronger. And it's really about development. And that's an important thing in this moment of economic catastrophe that has been spurred by this new Cold War. 
Uh, I mean, just look at what's going on with the sanctions against Russia. The U.S. has already intensified uh, just after the Chips and Science Act was passed, has now intensified uh, sanctions on China in the area of technology, supposedly supposedly to prevent a so-called quote-unquote invasion of Taiwan. But of course, we know the um, uh, we know the truth about that. We know that the U.S. has been escalating in China's own territory, something that the U.S. recognizes uh, uh, over and over and over again. Not least the recent example of Nancy Pelosi, then Ed Markey, and then Marshall Blackburn, right? All of these official visits to Taiwan in violation of the One China policy. Well, the world is responding. The world is not sitting on its hands the world is getting closer to China because China doesn't do things like this. China doesn't officially visit, let's say, with the MEK in Iran, for example, right? It doesn't interfere in the uh, internal political relations of other countries, of the of those countries that it has agreements with. I mean, imagine if Xi Jinping met with Alexei Navalny, right? That That's how... Or or Wang Yi met with Alexei Navalny. How disrespectful would that be um, toward Russia and the Russia-China alliance? I mean, we could. There's. Uh, I mean, there are better examples. I think to provide a metaphor for what's going on with Taiwan. But the point of the matter is, is that there is a lot of economic instability around the new Cold War right now uh, from Europe on its way to a cold, cold winter. Um, and we also have the United States facing still consistent, I think it's 8.6 per, 8.1%, a slight reduction in the inf- consumer price index. But uh, the United States is still facing this rampant inflation. There's a rail strike that's potentially going to happen. And yeah, it's... It is, um, you know, the instability is really, uh, really palpable right now. So anyway, if there's anyone in the queue who wants to come in, uh, please do. We can have a chat. I probably won't be on this one that long. Uh, Maybe tops 45 minutes, uh, 30 minutes if uh, there really isn't much uh, that people want to talk about at this time. But... um, I see there's a caller in the queue already, so I'll let Chris in. Uh, You are in the queue. Or you are now able to speak, I should say, Chris. Not hearing you. I don't know if that's on your end. You're not muted. Hmm. Okay, so Chris, I don't know if you're on, are you on your mobile device? Um, I'm not hearing you, so I can put, oh, I can, I think I hear something now. Oh, hey, hey, Danny? Yep. Oh, great, fantastic. Sorry about that. My first time calling, calling one of these things. I get it, it's fine. (laughs) Okay, appreciate it, thanks. But yeah, about, uh, just quickly about MAGA communism, I mean, in a nutshell, as you've been talking about it at length, 
you know, it's, uh, it's not an ideology. It's not a movement. It's just a brand. It's just a brand. And, you know, I don't uh, want to sound too negative about these guys like Jackson or Hodge. Cause I, well, I mean, Jackson in particular, I appreciate him representing a pro Russian perspective at this time, but, you know, getting a chance to take a look at his streams and whatnot, he's kind of like, you can sense he's kind of mixing and matching different things to appeal like a little bit to leftists and a lot to Trumpists. Like he'll do the anti-vax thing. He'll do the, he'll, you know, dog whistle about the great reset or George Soros. And he'll also say, I'm a Marxist. I support Russia and China and so forth. It's a very mixed bag and it's, and he's, you know, hustling for like some gold company or whatever. It's a very mixed bag. And there's, clearly a certain amount of you know a bit of commercial commercial intent shall we say there um so again don't want to demonize the guy but clearly mega communism is just not to be taken seriously i think it's for clicks it's a brand not an ideology or a movement that's all i really wanted to say thanks yeah well thanks for the the comment on that i mean yeah, you know, you can you never know what people's true intentions are. We can just analyze based on uh, what we're seeing, because of course there's always going to be plausible deniability from the person, and that's okay because this isn't really about them. It's just it's just pretty obvious that something as incoherent as this, something that doesn't really uh, mean much in the real world struggle that happens for people on the ground right the the actual existing conditions that people are experiencing and even the ideological landscape right now is just much more complicated and uh, it, this feels like both an abstraction and a distraction right so you have the abstraction of the fact that uh, nothing is really being defined Right. Uh, there's all these uh, very uh, hot terms that are used mainly in the social media and, uh, uh, you know, streaming landscape, which leans to the right. I mean, I don't know what else to say. That's a pretty obvious thing. That's something that you can that's something that's been true forever. But as politics have obviously become more polarized in the United States, it's quite obvious that the internet and the corporations that boost uh, that uh, that boost certain platforms, voices, uh, messages. It's it's quite obvious that the, what is being boosted leans to the right, and that's being very, 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 very generous. So, yeah, for me, you know, I think. The abstraction is using all of these terms, globalism, which has so many different connotations, both incredibly problematic as well as just incredibly unhelpful and useless, right? As problematic as you do have a lot of far right forces who use that term. You can't deny that a lot of far right forces use that term, regardless of whether you think that's the only definition it could be. You do have it. it it's true. You can find it. Go anywhere online. Type it in Twitter. See what comes up. See who uses it. It generally is the farthest right. And that's not to say that individuals themselves on the ground, working class people who may have far right political beliefs should be completely negated if they're willing to listen to common uh, the common interests that we have as a class. But it does mean that that far right ideology definitely shapes 
both the worldview and the way that people respond to political, economic, and economic problems. I mean, that I, I can't believe that I have to say this, but there is a lot of denial about this. It's, there's a reason why the working class movement is not strong. It's not just because of woke leftism. I'm sorry. It's incredibly simplistic to say that. And so whether you have globalism or the deep state, look, I've always said the deep state is the real state. So why are we talking about it as the deep state? Well, it's because there has been also, again, a lot of more popular forces on the right who will use that term. And while uh, certainly we don't have to censor ourselves and not say it, we should always be ready and willing to redefine it and reframe it so it works for an actual political project that serves left and working class interests. And, and finally, I just want to say, because I want to get to Anthony, I just want to say that I'm getting sick and tired of hearing, oh, it's not left and right. It's uh, us versus them or like... Um, how should I say, like, it's it's about class, it's about class solidarity, not left versus right. We have to remember that class, working class politics are decidedly left politics. So historically, that's how it's been. It doesn't mean that these left politics are purity tests. It just means that when you are engaged in class struggle to improve the lives of working class people and poor people, then you automatically find yourself on the real left, usually the socialist left, usually some uh, variation outside of duopoly politics, outside an independent left. You find yourself uh, 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 making and creating and implementing politics that serve very concrete agendas. So I just wanted to say that because I'm still going to, I mean, my channel is called The Left Lens. Should I just call it uh, the the us lens, right? Like we have to be able to define our politics and we have to define them independent of the bourgeoisie. And that's my big problem with this. This is tailing the bourgeoisie. Uh, we don't have to tail the bourgeoisie to be able to learn from the Trump moment, to be able to take what was useful about the Trump moment, as well as criticize and condemn what was co completely and utterly unuseful. I just want to say that. But uh, I see a lot of people actually now, so I don't want to. I don't want to waste too much time. Uh, I, I definitely want to get to people's comments. So I got Anthony here as the next caller. You are able to speak now, Anthony, if you're there. Darn! I uh, updated it. The app. Danny, because I thought it would not close it out, but it still closed it out. I don't know. Oh, well. <laughs> That's all right. It ha this is, it, there, there are a lot of bugs that happen with this app, unfortunately. But um, anyway. Good to talk wanna... to you. Yeah. Oh, wow. This conversation really blew up over the past week on all outlets. <laughs> and I guess I could see why. Because, I mean, first off, let's just say the person who started it, they're, they're a young individual and... Yeah. Young people don't have a lot of discretion, so we got to start there. Um, you know, and then, yeah, MAGA. I mean, my family's full of MAGAs in terms of my aunts, uncles, and stuff. And, yeah, it's it's pretty uh, – I've been grossed out by their politics for decades, not just since Trump. And um, 
they've been racist since way before Trump, and they're going to keep being racist after, I'm sure. But uh, that's not to say, you know, yeah, issue by issue, there's not a things that you can kind of agree or try to nudge them on. But that's, I don't know. I, so, yeah, that's really stupid, in my opinion, to even be pushing this. But <laughs> that's being said, I don't really have a problem with some of the terminology um, globalist. I mean, obviously, yeah, Alex Jones is the biggest purveyor of that word. But, uh, I mean, I just kind of understand globalist as like a free trade multinational corporation kind of thing. But I know there's, yeah, it, people take it in another direction. Yeah, I mean, it's not, it's not I, like for me, right? Like, I because I'm more interested in what the public, like what people, ordinary people think about things. Like, I, first of all, I think globalism is, is, is really, it's still a niche term. I don't think many people are using it in their day-to-days unless they're watching uh, people like Alex Jones and others adjacent, you know, adjacent and parallel to him. But I, I, I think that uh, it's not really the term. It's just the, 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 the intent behind it. Right. And the doubling down on like, well, actually capitalist or capital or whatever, or rule or, or elite, like those are somehow detached from people and globalism is not, it just, it feels incredibly just, uh, how should I say inconsistent and, uh, I, I don't know, like not necessary. So I don't, I don't really like, I don't, uh, jump back at the word necessarily, uh, because I myself am detached from that other context that people use it in. Like I don't go around sifting through, you know, 4chan, for example. But anyway, continue if you have anything else you want to say. Yeah, well, you're right. Yeah, they all kind of mean the same thing, but with a different, yeah, connotation, like you said. So that's a good point. Uh, I think balance, I'd probably find myself using them all, but in a political conversation, if I'm just talking with someone apolitical, I'm, you know, it's probably going to be, I'll say, rich people or something like that. Yeah, yeah, makes sense. Yeah. And then uh, the other thing about the whole thing is you can tell, well, I'll just say before preface this, I'm not, that's not necessarily to say I agree with uh, the, the the other person. I don't want to drop too many names, but you know the person you had on as a guest the other day, your good friend who's disagreeing with this young man. Uh, he, that's not to say I agree with him uh, on anything in particular. Yeah, socialist, communist, but I definitely disagree with uh, your good friend on the COVID issues, but that's another topic. Right, um, right, right. Now, the the thing, the way you can tell with the man who started this uh, debate, MAGA communism, or is like trying to push it, make it a thing, you can tell it's disingenuous because not a couple months ago, he uh, people were trying to uh, get in, in front of his eyes in his uh, re, you know uh, windshield his. Uh, Review mute the Great Reset and Klaus Schwab and the World Economic Forum and all that kind of stuff, and um, he, which I you know I think is a, it's a legit thing. It's definitely one of the more plugged in organizations in the real world, like right now in terms of leaders in the world. But it's not to say it's the end all be all of capitalism. But this young man completely dismissed it. Anthony, are you, oh, sorry, you cut out. Sorry, I cut out. But um, yeah, he completely dismissed it, and then he did a turnaround in like four to five months, and it's like the biggest deal now. It's like, okay, that's how you know. I, it, you came to the exact opposite conclusion so quickly, but you know, kind of gotta take a little humility and say, 
I was wrong at first and yeah, I'm learning it, but now nah, he just went from absolutely one side to absolutely the other and it was kind of funny. So that's just another thing, but all right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, no, definitely. I'll just make a quick comment on that, especially the globalism, and then I'll get to you, um, Sauce, and, and then, oh, Big Teal is here. Hey. Um, I'll just make a quick comment on, especially the World Economic Forum. I mean, here's my take on the World Economic Forum. It is a capitalist institution. It is a response to the global capitalist crisis. And it certainly has what I think is dangerous in that it kind of creates this image that capitalism is going to completely reform itself and um, centralize in such a way that it will be able to address specific problems. But really, what I think it's doing is it's trying to satisfy monopolies, finance capitalists, satisfy them, and give them a rebrand to make it look like they are actually taking care of real-world issues. For example, the World Economic Forum will highlight China's progress on high-speed rail, but they won't tell you that actually uh, the the way that investors are working right now who are supposedly all in with the World Economic Forum, their intent is more so to just continuously privatize and gobble up whatever is left of the public sector anywhere in the world, especially in, in the West. So uh, that, that to me is really the big danger of it. I don't see it as really a conspiracy. When I look at the language of their manifesto, when I look at how they speak about things, it, to me, one of the most interesting things about it is that it really does demonstrate that the conditions for communism are actually here, that uh, where the World Economic Forum is actually acknowledging this era of just massive abundance, that there needs to be no shortage of anything. And they're trying to act like capital is going to be able to to resolve those things. But really, they're just using it as an engine to fuel their interests. And that's how I feel about the World Economic Forum. To me, it's not some kind of huge... I mean, capitalists meet like this all the time. They gather like this. They form these organizations. They've been doing this since the advent of imperialism, especially... Um, at the at the at the uh, uh, turn of the twenty uh, 20th century, so um, people are saying there's no okay. All right, I might be. I don't know why I'd be cutting in and out, but um, I'm going to talk to Sasa now, and then I'm going to get to you a big teal. So, oh, okay, Sasa, you are now in the. Uh, speaker. Um, hi, Danny. Hi. Um, so I, I wrote a few notes as I was listening. Um, so yeah, I, I really agree with Chris on the reading of Hinkle. And uh, so I just wanted to say that I was curious about the, I think, second person talking about COVID issues. You know, so I just really, you know, because I really follow these podcasts very closely and I just feel like yeah I have I have my own uh readings of how these issues are being distorted right and um into like a binary right either this or that and that gets really frustrating 
And um, and I can talk about that a little bit more. I did want to say overall that I started listening to podcasts and I'm a Patreon supporter of you and like the gray zone and and uh, multipolarista and probably about seven or eight other left um, creators, producers, breakthrough news, etc. Um, and I honestly cannot imagine a world without them. I mean, they they have fundamentally transformed like the left stratosphere, at least to me, and I'm well read and I've been a leftist since I was 19. Um, But it does take a lot of critical thinking to parse through and analyze and the kind of media sphere, you to all of it actually, doesn't facilitate that kind of critical thinking, parsing, figuring out where you land. It's really sort of either or. And I just think that's about capitalism and it's about the limits of the stratosphere. Um, And I don't, I really resent personalization and I appreciate it, especially like among the left. Okay. Like I really, I listened, 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 and then I read certain things, actually racial dynamics, some gender dynamics that I found problematic before some of this stuff that we're seeing. Um, But, you know, when I think about Jimmy Dore or Jimmy Dore, I think of him in his context. I mean, he's got a massive market in Southern California and in the country and very, very few people on the left. And I do consider him left are effective in kind of getting out more critical leftist positions to a really massive audience. That doesn't mean I always agree or like the bombastic method is particularly effective um, Effective with me. I agree with you on the, w, the World Economic Forum. Yeah, there's a way that certain kind of organizations become, become the boogeyman where or individuals when if you actually had a historically informed anti-imperialist um, anti-capitalist position and you took the global south a lot more seriously uh, you know and white supremacy and like the way capitalism works um, it would be a lot harder to do that there is a way that i again you know i see sometimes racial kind of underpinnings to the way certain terms become the terms and then it's hard to disconnect that sorry i have something in the oven so um that rang i'm gonna turn that off um but the uh but it's hard to disconnect that from the way some of this language is mobilized uh, whatever uh, globalism or so those are my um those are my my basic Points. But COVID, I really care about because I care about eugenics and I know the history of eugenics in the U.S. and all over the world. And I, I, I don't want to get you in trouble, but like if people are also following, you know, the development of this virus, some of the critical science stuff, you know, not just the um, and I and I've had to learn a lot of that since COVID, virology, epidemiology, and just follow the science. There's a lot of bad stuff and big pharma, but but then on the other hand, there are also these other kinds of realities where and, and knowledge about, for example, the way vaccines work, which is they're about population, not about you know not about individuals really. They're about population level protection. Anyhow, that's just those are those are just some of my um, 
thoughts and frustrations. But overall, it's one of appreciation. And I really enjoyed your discussion with Ben Norton. I thought it was incredible. And and I lived and I also like have lived in Ohio for 10 years. And um, and I thought it was incredible. And yeah, like some people are offended. Oh, he says fascist. OK, he says fascist. It bothers, you know. Well, you know, like we could have a discussion of that word, but um, but that to me, I, I cannot dismiss. Uh, that was a great discussion. That's all I want to say. Thank That's you. Me. Thank yeah. you. Appreciate it. Yeah, I'll definitely respond to definitely some of what you're saying before we get to uh, 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 Big Teal, who's in the uh, who's in the who's who's waiting. Um, no, I mean certainly I appreciate all of your comments. I, I mean, for me. Yeah, one of the things, it's a constant dance. It's like this dance of, of a dialectic where you have on the one hand the need to stay very firm and true to principles because we understand that media, just like any political project, anything that we do, right? Everything that we do has has political uh, has a political impact. Right. There's no such thing as an apolitical thing that we're doing. Everything politics is rooted in everything because uh, we live in a system where uh, uh, you know every, everything around us, labor is embodied in it, uh, and all of the machinations of imperialism are embodied in it. So we can't really do anything and say, "Oh, that's not political." Surely, there's a difference between being active and being inactive. But that is to say that if we are active in this way through media or any other way, there is this dance of the dialectic of how do we reach people versus how do we stay firm and true to principles. And that's one that I face myself and one that has certainly a lot of frustrations. And so one of the things that I really dislike, I really can't stand about what has happened, especially since the end of the Bernie Sanders 2020 campaign, is that I feel like there has been a lot of personalization. I feel like that there has been a lot of kind of personality building, which is inevitable. Like we're, uh, as these messages get, with a lack of organization, as these messages get more popular, as they become more hotly debated, as people get sick of mainstream media, corporate media, um, we still live under a capitalist system that emphasizes individualism and where everything that we do, right, the structures in place, uh, even just running a YouTube channel is running a business, you know, and I've just started learning what that is like (coughs) over the last six months. So it does fuel... um, this emphasis on personalities and I really, really dislike it because, and I really think that it's something we should think about because one of the things that happened in this whole mega communism thing is I was always on the periphery. I was asked on RBN to talk about it. And I was just talking about ideas. Uh, Jackson was the purveyor of the ideas, but I was literally just talking about the ideas of staying away from Hinkle this, Hinkle that, like, look, I, you know, uh, whatever I think about him, it's certainly not important to to uh, to me or hopefully to, to most other uh, people um no one is no one right the idea is no one is the authority or has private property uh you know we're not we're well that's not true there is plenty of uh copyright and all of this stuff but 
you know, in the battle of ideas politically, we shouldn't be thinking about it as like the someone's ideas as their property. I know I'm a Marxist and no Marxist should be thinking that way. So, you know, that's how it all started. And then it became, and then, you know, Ben and Jackson got into it. And then I got looped into that for some reason, which made no sense to me, but I looped into it. And, you know, at the end of the day, um, it's when it started to become like name calling that, you know, and the immature stuff. It's one thing, right? Ben, yeah, he used the word fascist. I know, I know that uh, a prior caller here took issue with that. And, and look, for me, I think people have the right to, uh, to believe and identify someone as, some, as something like that, if that's what they truly believe in. For me, I try to stay away from that stuff because I do think that it creates uh, what what I think is a, a, a diversion from the ideas and from the politics. So especially when we're talking about a person who, in truth, doesn't have uh, that kind, it has only a modicum of power that, that that doesn't reach the level of where I'm looking to uh, uh, you know m- make that kind of uh, claim even if I believe that there are ten- there are tendencies about the, this ideology that are indeed uh, fascist in character so that is to say that when it starts to become p word this that you know give me give me your uh, you know, do do what I say, come and debate, all this stuff, because I need, you know, it's pretty obvious that when someone's not willing to have a discussion and a conversation, but they want to uh, dictate the terms of something, it's that there's another agenda involved in this. It's about creating fake controversies, which will then create a boost for them. And it really doesn't have, uh, you know, I just don't have any interest in all of that. But when it starts to become like these immature name calling kind of things, that's when, you know, for me, and this has happened, not just in this instance, but this has happened many different times. Um, Okay, I'll say the word big deal, pussy. I don't like to say it because I feel like I'm way too old for that. I it's not even just the inherent sexism and misogyny in that word. Like, that's just real. You can't detach it. But, um, yeah, Jackson referred uh, to uh, to me and to Ben in that way. And after that, I was like, no. Oh, and he did it privately as well. But I won't get into that. So when someone talks to me like that, you know, that's it. There's no, there's no more communication. I, I have too much dignity. Uh, I I conduct my affairs with self-respect, so I don't engage in that stuff, and I won't because there's too many things that are way more important, in my opinion. And I think a lot of what you brought up, Sawson, is exactly, um, you know, exactly why I try to dance on this dialectic as best as I can, given the circumstances, staying firm, but also trying to be, you know, I try to make (laughs) these very radical, very socialist ideas accessible. Um, And I think I take most issue with 
de-characterizations that somehow we need to flank all the way to what someone like Donald Trump and Marjorie Taylor Greene is saying to do that. I don't think we need to do that. I 100% think that's false. I mean, I know people, uh, uh, Anthony was talking about, you know, coming from a family of Trump supporters. You know, I mean, my mother has been a Republican supporter for quite some time. And, you know, most people in the GOP, who, uh, except for, I guess, the um, <laughs> a small fraction that decided to huddle under the Democratic Party's Big Ten, most of them just went to Trump anyway, right? So my mom likes Trump, but... Uh, 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 like it's to me, you don't have to adopt their language to talk to them about other things. You don't have to adopt Trump's slogan for that. And I think that's where I take most issue is uh, working class people are very, they're just everywhere. They're very, <laughs> we have half the country basically uh, is, is now could be considered working class, if not more. We have more than half the country wanting a third party. We have nearly half of people under the age of 35 who are interested in the word socialism. I think there are pretty ripe conditions to talk in a manner that doesn't just park into a very small subsection of the electorate. Uh, we can discuss things in ways that are both accessible as well as independent from the bourgeoisie. And that's always been my philosophy when it comes to politics, uh, even uh, in unfavorable conditions. Um, you know, I came of age in a period that was much less favorable, uh, you know, during the uh, middle of uh, tail end of the first term, middle of the first term of the Obama administration, where people were not thinking even just quote unquote progressively, right? It was, uh, we call it, uh, rest in power to Glenn Ford. We would always talk about it as the lonely period, right? Feeling very lonely because of how consumed, especially working class and oppressed people were in the democratic party for the most part. So now I don't want to make the same mistake and get consumed into some kind of uh, reactionary trend because that's what MAGA is. It's a reactionary trend to that, both that as well as the overall collapse of the duopoly. I don't, I don't want to get caught up in that. And so I'm just not going to. But I want to get Big Teal. Oh, I got a lot of callers. I'm going to get Big Teal in here so we can keep it moving. Um, hello. You are able to speak now. It's good to have you on. If you're there, you're still muted. Um, I hope you're able to use this app. I know some people have been having issues. Warning, there has been a bug going on. So there have been like troll callers. I've been in touch with Colin about this. But I hope it's not happening to you, Big Teal. Um, I might have to move on, though, if you're unable to, and then get back to you. Oh, said wait. Okay, I see you in the chat. Got to fix something. Okay, I am waiting. Oh, there you go. Oh, muted again. Hello? Yes, I can hear you. Am I clear? 
you are try talking a little bit more because I thought I noticed a little bit of a hello hello testing yes you're good testing one two three (laughs) you're good you're good (laughs) okay awesome finally right yeah good to talk to you thanks for all i mean thanks for all your help you definitely help moderate all that good stuff so thanks for coming not a problem um yeah so there's a lot that 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 has been covered um but i guess i'll start off with like the whole maga communism um thing since that's like the latest thing and i think you're right i think it might have been a way to get more eyes on channels because afterwards i've been seeing this whole thing on a lot of on a lot of other channels and i will say some names because i think it highlights for me some kind of confusion and also some issues in like analysis like i did see sabby sabs play your interview or your discussion rather with ben norton and you know she had some of her own critiques or things she wanted to say but one thing I think gets overlooked, I think, is maybe people really don't understand what leftism is. It's be kind of become like very diluted. Like for example, I'm thinking about like 2008 or nine, where people had a clear understanding that left meant that you're either communist, you're a socialist, or an anarchist, and it seems like that specificity has kind of receded to some extent and then now people referring to um party politicians like the democrats as left which kind of you know i would have to examine a bit more what led to that kind of usage and i think even more so um what i think leads to the kind of maybe confusion about what maga communism is but also its appeal is that people are not organized because they don't know what accountability looks like, or I would say political accountability. And where that you have a collective that you're organizing with, that you are studying with, and you are figuring out these ideas collectively. And oftentimes people like Hinkle, for example, who have an audience, they are not, because they're not in orgs, they can't discern or they don't have, I argue, the political clarity to discern where Hinkle fits in this historical moment as imperialist contradictions intensify. Because when I'm thinking about the left, I think, like yourself, I think historically, I think about people like Lumumba, I think about Castro and their literal fight to, to kick colonizers out of their country. You know, there's like, you have to make a study of these things. And when people don't know this history, I think it's, they get to be very easily misled. You can't synthesize um, political commentary without having a rich foundation in revolutionary history. And so, so yeah, so, so, so that's one part. But then also, I think one thing that I'm glad you highlighted was the idea of understanding um, the working class as internationalist. And I think that's something that Sabi overlooked in her kind of critique about your position on MAGA communism. Um, and I think what Henkel doesn't even understand either. Like, I don't think they think like multi or plural or could international. You, uh, could you, uh, uh, sorry yeah. to interrupt. Could you specify? I didn't listen. I didn't listen to her. 
I know that she had. I even sent her messages before she um, went on just because oh, I wanted no. to give some clarity about events if she was going to talk about events. Um, but uh, what what um, what was her critique, if you don't mind? Um, I'm trying to think back because I remember when she said it, I was like, oh, she doesn't understand your politics. Um, I think it might have been something around what the work, what the white working class is. Hmm. And how the and how like working class, I guess for you and Ben, you're thinking about it multinationally. Because I think there's a whole disagreement about, oh, there's no such thing as a white working class because it presumes that working class means white. Gotcha. And and I think there is something I can't say what she said, but exactly, because I didn't think I would say it, but it made me think, oh, there's this this there's there's lack of clarity on the national question. And I and that's out to me the most because I've actually had arguments with people in real life about the national question because many people are dismissive of it actually, and I have to let them know the distinction between like revolutionary nationalism, between religious nationalism, between capitalist nationalism. You know, there's a lot between, and I realize when I after having that conversation with people, they're like, oh maybe nationalism is more historically complicated. And so I'm going, I'm going on a tangent now, but that's all I wanted to say. All right. <laughs> Thank all right. you. Yeah. 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 Thanks for joining. Thanks for all your support. Um, yeah. So I can respond to that. I mean, I think, uh, yeah, I mean, look, For me, it's interesting because from what I, um, you know, from what I understand, a lot of the problems with how I characterize or talk about the working class, how I could see it shaping up is that um, somehow I might be... uh, making it about culture or making it about race, something like that. I could see where that in this political, you know, a lot of the media, right? I mean, this is just real. A lot of the independent left media, uh, because class right now, and I'm happy about this. I'm really, I I really am happy about it because, because there is less of a, a, a popular backlash to, talking about class right now because of the obvious situation that so many people are facing that uh, still having conversations about the material conditions and relations, social relationships that are embedded in class when it comes to race is very, is still very challenging. And so, you know, when I refer to, let's say, working class whites, like that might, you know, as being different from working class black Americans, etc., that might rub people the wrong way. And unfortunately, though, as I said in all of my coverage of this, from my interview with Ben to my own conversation about it, uh, the facts are the facts, Right, the facts are just the facts. Uh, working class people in the United States are by no means a monolith. Uh, certainly, there are there is common interests and a common, perhaps a common relationship 
to the boss and to capital. But that isn't to say that there aren't so many other areas that really do put a deep impediment in actual working class unity. And if people don't understand that, then you, that then that shows, I think, one, that a lot of this conversation about class has been held in the area of discourse and that perhaps there isn't experience in what it's actually like to engage in working class politics in the real world. Because in the real world, oh God, oh man, go go to any any setting, any setting at all. And if you don't find instances of racism, you're lying. You are absolutely not telling the truth. There is not... A, a workplace in this country that is not incredibly rife with racism. And maybe we don't know. I mean, look, I'm not going to say you're to blame, for example, if you don't know or can't see because there are a lot of uh, interesting ways, for example, uh, paying workers differently, literally based on their race. That actually happens. That happens all of the time. And we don't always know that because of the way that capital has made us insecure about and alienated about our what we make right there's a lot of uh, built-in insecurity and alienation that capital has embedded in us to hide you know our wages and our salaries from other workers but if you you know i've always do this on all of my workplaces i'm very open i say what do you make how much do i make you know like i this these are conversations i you have to have openly because it will get into deeper conversations about working conditions and racism. Everywhere I've worked, this has been a big problem. So that is to say, you know, it's a very socialist concept and not everyone's going to get it right away. This idea of a multinational working class, this idea that there are oppressed nations in the United States, the idea that uh, this struggle for working class unity has to happen on many different levels and that the economic level Yes, is very important, if not the most important, because it's where we are uh, generally and primarily, although not uh, entirely, but it's primarily where we're going to be struggling for power. So, of course, we need to come together on the economic issues and the agenda. But that doesn't mean I, I bring these things up because it's like you can ignore them and a lot of democratic small d socialists do this yeah you can ignore these other issues if you want you know you can you can just uh, and, and i think the MAGA communists do this as well right they both at some levels will ignore these issues race and other things to um to build you know uh, uh, very quick uh, 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 to build a, to, to be very quickly and rapidly appealing but then when it comes to practice Right. Being unprepared to, for example, take on the fact that people like Obama, AOC, uh, they are navigating a political environment where racism is a very real material issue for working class people. And they're exploiting that for political gain and to serve the bourgeoisie through so-called, quote unquote, identity politics or diversity policy, whatever you want to call it. But we're now unprepared to address that on a class basis because on the one hand, you have uh, this formidable liberal establishment and, on, and then on the other, you have a denial of this issue on a material basis. 
So that means you are actually seeding. And I've said this so many times about MAGA communism, but I say this about dem- small d democratic socialists, uh, the I- even ultra left uh, communist groups like the ISO, the former ISO, and other fourth internationals. I say this all the time about them. Like they seed a lot of issues, whether it's imperialism, whether it's ra- racism, whether it's whatever on the ground, they seed them to the Democrats to whatever section of the establishment is willing to exploit them for their own political gain. That's, um, um, uh, so that's what I, um, had to say about, uh, about that. But, uh, I have, um, another caller, Eldam, so I'll put you in. Hello, can you hear me? Mm-hmm. Oh, great, great. Um, well, thank you for having this uh, call, and I've always enjoyed all the callers when I try to catch them. Uh, so I'll try to be quick with my my question, part statement. So, so since the start of the um, the Western-led sanctions on Russia, you know, we're seeing a lot of Western countries uh, seem to be sacrificing their citizens to keep up these sanctions, but the political fallout is seem to be leading to the dissolving of the current neoliberal governments and instead turning to more right-wing neoconservative governments. You know, we see that in Italy, Sweden, you know, France parliament has now has a huge, you know, neoconservative um, um, right-wing uh, uh, contingent. And, and also considering that the U.S. is the world leader uh, as of, of the uh, neoliberal stage of capitalism has managed to basically purge all of the left-leaning um, influences in his political in his political structure um, and also becoming more lawless around the world you know stealing sovereign funds and resources from several countries you know Venezuela Afghanistan Iran Haiti Syria Libya Russia this is just all in the last 10 years not to mention you know uh, uh, 50 or 60 years going back. My question is, you know, as people here become more pained, it seems to me that this country will probably turn even more neoconservative right wing uh, as a result. So how is, or how would, you know, um, um, you know, I'm not quite sure how do we even start with how to address that hmm. without, you know, since we really don't have power in electoral politics and mm-hmm. that's really running everything. I mean, we're, you know, so I'm not sure if that's a question, but hmm. it, it, it's, it, it doesn't seem, I, I think we're going to see a lot more pain if any good is going to come from it, I'm not. I'm not quite sure. Perhaps I'm quite a pessimist, but I'm not seeing the trends there that you know um, uh, where you know where, where it's going to get better. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I mean the trends are troubling. Like I think that there's, of course, positive developments occurring globally it, it, they tend not to be in the areas that we reside in but uh, uh they, there are positive ones but what you're saying i think about the general trajectory of europe and the united states is very much true on in the electoral sense and 
I think that the two attempts by Bernie Sanders, and then of course, uh, in between that, the uh, you know the emergence of the squad and these kind of like left-ish Democratic Party politicians and how they've sputtered, and then you saw the sputtering of like let's say Jeremy Corbyn in the UK. I mean, there's example after example where we are facing down what is the reality of political reaction. And it's a political reaction to a lot of the conditions that you note. And then overall, I think this uh, a crisis that the system is facing. So we're in system crisis, economically, politically, militarily. There's a, a lot of, of, of crises and chaos uh, that surround that as well for, for the empire. So, you know, it's why there's this new Cold War going on. There wouldn't be a new Cold War if uh, if there wasn't a, a lot of stakes uh, to it for for the American Empire. So I think what you know is very important, and that's why in the tradition of someone like Vladimir Lenin and and really a lot of the best, um, uh, I guess, winter soldiers of the uh, uh, leftist uh, revolutionary and socialist movements. Uh, we we definitely need to be engaging, right? So so certainly when it's something like electoral politics, uh, while it's not something that I find myself able to engage with because it's just it's uh, it's so infuriating, it's hard. But we do have to engage in the debates and the discussions about what's happening with them, and also uh, uh, be very sober. Right, because I think your analysis about the trend and trajectory about the West is true. We have to be very sober about it. I think one thing that happens is that, as Big Teal was saying, there's such a lack of organization that there is almost. Uh, I, I mean, people are starving for uh, for something to believe in, for something to be optimistic about uh, in the absence of a real power, as you're saying. And so one of the very dangerous things about, let's say, the dichotomy of, of, of social democratic politics in the form of Sanders versus uh, uh, maybe the more reactionary trend of Donald Trump is that uh, people will latch on to those as like the solution and be disappointed each time and, and, and actually spur nihilism. So we, I think our goal needs to be one, we do need an independent political party. It doesn't mean it's the only thing that we have, but we do need an independent political party of the working class of the poor in the United States. We need to figure out how to do that. Um, that was something Glenn Ford and I would talk about um, ever since the Sanders the phenomenon uh, cropped up was uh, we could see it, right? Even in 2015, you could see it. We're like, well, we know where this, we know, we didn't know exactly where it was going, but we knew that the Democratic Party was going to be a dead end. And, and we're, you know, immediately the backlash to even just Sanders was so intense so we would often talk about, well, how, what is it going to take for that kind of political vehicle to be developed? Because I do think that that is one of the biggest tasks in this country. And then I think in Europe, the task is kind of similar because despite the presence of parliamentary, so-called parliamentary systems, uh, there's still a very narrow political uh, uh, space for an actual 
a party of the working class to emerge from. Like the Labour Party in the UK isn't that. Labour Party in Australia definitely isn't that. You know, like you go on and on and on. They just the so-called parties of the left are not parties of the left. And so I think that's the number one task. And however we engage in these developments and how we talk about and also be about these issues is hopefully going to be geared toward that emerging. The problem I'm having with online discourse lately is that it's either it's like anti-Democrat or anti-Trump, right? And it's like that to me that misses the point of there's a lot of room outside of that. Actually, the room is kind of endless outside of that because that's a very narrow political space to find yourself in. Um, So uh, thank you for that uh, comment. Um, I really appreciate it. But, you know, yeah, certainly we have to find ways to, because not all of this is on our control. I say this should needs to be the task, but we don't have, you know, this, we often face, I'm a therapist, so we often face this, like, in our work, whatever we're doing, or just in our lives, if we are so-called, quote-unquote, woke, or conscious of what's going on, and uh, we often face face this existential problem of, well, we don't, as individuals, have control over what's going to happen politically. We can certainly make space to be active in ways that mean that our hopefully our contributions will lead to what we want and, and what we hope to see, but we can't necessarily predict. We can't necessarily say that that's going to happen. So we're often coping with that lack of control. And that means finding ways to maintain revolutionary optimism, maintain optimism, whether it's studying history, studying, um, engaging politically, uh, uh, whether it's, uh, you know, um, focusing on the entire trajectory, finding ways to take hold of the dialectic that's happening globally, um, so that we do keep finding ways to keep ourselves in, in this because you're right that there will be there will be more pain i mean the pain for workers for poor people for oppressed people is going to increase well at the same time i think the positive is that there are forces around around the world who will actually see their lives get better and we've been seeing that whether we're talking about china cuba there are places where things are getting better. I think the Shanghai Cooperation Organization Summit is so important because it means that with these deeper relationships, now with Iran on board, which has a pretty robust economy despite the sanctions, you have even more opportunities for people's lives to get better. It's just that in the West and the United States, when you're in a race to the bottom, when the ruling elite is in a race to the bottom like it is because its system is sputtering and uh, uh, that becomes really difficult. And so certainly we've got to find ways, whatever we can do to maintain and, 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 and cultivate that revolutionary optimism. But I got to say, I have a few announcements and then I'm going to head out, okay? 
So first, there's been a redesign of my YouTube channel. I'm on Rockfin now. So follow me there. Search Danny Haifang. Um, putting in a lot of labor lately. So if you are able to support this work, the best way to do that is in the profile link at patreon.com slash Danny Haifang. I highly encourage you go back to the left lens and uh, watch you know my conversations with Ben, my own about MAGA communism, my conversation with Vijay Prashad. And then I'll be back next week, both on this podcast and on the left lens. And I do have hopefully some interesting guests coming up for later September, early October, although I will be moving. So I may have to take a break at that end of September period as well. All right, everyone. It was a great program. Thanks so much for coming. And I will uh, see you very soon. Again, you know, before you go, if you're not subscribed to this podcast, do that and consider uh, making, uh, becoming a member on Patreon so you continue to support this work consistently. Take care, everyone, and have a great rest of your Saturday. Bye-bye.